Women Taking the Lead, episode 231. The best mantra that I have on my desk is, you aren't pizza, you won't please everyone. And as someone who says yes a lot and used to say yes too often and runs by a mentality of yes and, like it's literally tattooed on my arm, yes and, in my husband's handwriting. And it's, it's that understanding that I got to do me sometimes and I got to do our mission sometimes. And it's not going to make everyone happy because it is different. And that's okay because you're looking out for yourself once in a while and sometimes more than once in a while and saying yes is really important. Also saying yes to your reality and understanding that you cannot please everyone is, has been the best life and self-care lesson that I've taken in the past few years. Hello, my name is Jody Flynn and welcome to Women Taking the Lead, where we are all about creating blasts of inspiration to help you overcome self-doubt so you can lead with confidence, integrity, and a sense of humor. Have you grabbed your copy of my best-selling book, Accomplished, How to Go from Dreaming to Doing? Head over to womentakingthelead.com forward slash accomplished to access the secrets to achievement and success. Now, your future awaits, so let's get started. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. I'm here with Jen Brown, who is the founder and artistic director of The Engaging Educator. Through EE, her pedagogical approach of improv as continuing education has reached over 25,000 people all non-actors. Since 2012, Jen has given three TEDx talks on the power of improv, grown EE to two locations in New York City and Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and recently began the Engaging Educator Foundation, a 501c3 which offers free and low-cost improv workshops for educators, at-risk adults, teens, and students on the autism spectrum. Currently, Jen happily resides in Winston-Salem, with her husband, who she met while teaching an improv class. And no, he wasn't the best person in the class. In fact, he was the worst. I love that, Jen. (laughs) He truly was, and you will attest to that as well. I love that. Well, Jen, that's just a quick overview. And I'm sure if anyone is thinking the way I'm thinking, like when I hear someone doing improv and doing a lot of improv, I'm just like, my face gets flushed. I'm like, oh my goodness, how scary, how exciting, how fun. So I'm so honored that you were able to come on the show today and share your journey with us. So to first start off with, tell us a little bit more about who you are as a person and your own humble beginnings. Sure thing. So first off, thank you for having me. I've been listening to the podcast for a while, and it is amazing to be among the other incredible women and and guys, dudes too, that I've heard on the (laughs) podcast. And I think that the the best place to start for me is I, I was an actor for a really long time. I went to school for theater and dance, and I loved it when I loved it. And then it just got, when I moved to New York after living in Chicago, it got to be more of a chore than a passion. And when I actually went to undergrad, my advisor, the the person in charge of the whole theater department said, if you love anything as much as you love acting, do that. So do something else, basically, if you have any sort of doubts. 
because it is such a hard career and because it's so personal. So I ended up going back to school for art history and working in museums. And it was another hard side hustle type business. And then I realized that so many of my fellow museum educators actually really didn't have the skills of flexibility. They weren't paying attention to how they said what they said as opposed to they were just thinking about what they said and information and not really reading the audience as well as they could. So I started teaching an improv class just for museum educators thinking like, oh, this will be a nice side hustle. This will be something else to supplement my career and living in New York. And then from there, we ended up getting regular educators that found out about the class and salespeople and, and anyone else that wanted to except for actors. So even though I was an improviser still at the time, I was still performing while I was teaching because I actually, funny enough, the moment I graduated with my art history degree, I went back to doing short form improv because why not? Why not have 70 things going on in your life? And I, I didn't want to teach actors though. I was living in New York. There were so many amazing like theater training schools and improv houses. And I wanted people to see what I saw that this skill really helped people in their everyday life. So even though I started working with museum educators and educators, we just kept saying yes to everyone except for actors, just because with an actor in class, it would change the dynamic too much and be less about life and more about being on stage. And it happened, I, I like to joke that I'm a business owner, like held hostage a little bit in the sense of I never aspired to be a business owner in the least. And now I would say in the last, last year, I'm starting to really embrace the fact that I do own a business and it is a cool business and I'm really proud of it and really passionate about it. And at this point, I would give the probably the same advice too to entrepreneurs that I got as as an actor of if you love anything else as much, go do it. And for once, I can I can say like I don't love anything else as much. Mm-hmm. I love this. Mm-hmm. You know, Jen, I so relate to that because I never intended on being a business owner either. But I loved coaching and I wanted to coach. And when I started exploring, well, how can I do that? It was apparent that I needed the best way to be able to do it and do it immediately was to start my own business. And so it was like, okay, I'll do that. And then I figured it yeah. out along the way. <laughs> Absolutely. You can only, I, I am a, while I'm a proponent of the side hustle, because that's how EE, the engaging educator got started. I'm like, you can only have so many side hustles before you go crazy. Like you need to take care of yourself. So that idea that you love it so much in order to do it, you have to do it. Mm-hmm. So you just, you give in and you're like, all right, well, I guess I'm figuring out business right now. That works. Yeah, I love it. And Jen, you're in such a good place right now and your business is growing and expanding and you've got the 501c3 portion of it, which, you know, I know from a little bit of experience being on nonprofit boards, like that's not easy to apply to and get rolling and all that stuff. And, you know, you sound so confident and I know you're doing such good work in the world. And even with all of your pivots, it was just kind of like you were just rolling with it. Like, okay, I'm going to go do this. And you know what? I'm just going to go back and I'm going to do this. But, you know, as you and I both know, there are always times in our lives, it's very normal, it's very human to have moments where we doubt ourselves and we, we don't realize just how capable and how much value we bring to the table. And I think sometimes those are the moments that 
connect us, that no matter how successful we are, we still experience those moments where we might be like, "Mm, you know, I don't know. And so Jen, if you could share with us a time in your life when you had those, one of those playing small moments and share with us the lessons you've learned from it. Absolutely. I, I tell students this all the time that are like, cause our students are working on things like confidence and finding themselves and finding their authentic voice. And I tell students all the time that I've, I've been there just as much as they were feeling lost after a job transition or a big life change. And my true playing small moment, I think, was when I was starting AE. I was also, as I mentioned, a museum educator, and I was in a very academic very status quo-y, this is how you do this, and this is how you behave, and this is a museum, and this is how you act in a museum. And I started EE at the same time because I was a freelance educator. So in New York, if you want to teach at museums, a lot of times you don't end up having a full-time position. You end up working for a lot of different museums because I didn't want to sit at a desk, so I just wanted the teaching aspect of things. And I'm, I'm teaching in all these places and I'm like hustling on the side and people would ask me what I did at networking events or at museums or like ask me about my improv program. And I was constantly saying, oh, it's just this thing that I do. And oh, it's, it's nothing really. Or I would downplay it and myself so often. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the, I had two huge moments where I made strides forward, I was talking to uh, an education director at a museum that at the time, I didn't know if I wanted to keep pursuing this business route. I mean, let's be honest, I I had no idea what I was going to do. I was like, okay, well, this is fine. Everything is fine. I'm getting by. I'm I'm making my rent. I have money to do cool things. I'm not sleeping. I'm still doing, (laughs) doing cool stuff. And I was talking to this education director and she said, oh, you, you have a, a logo for your just side thing. Because I had been literally putting this thing as a just something and downplaying it for about two years at this point. And she said, you have a logo and, and you have a name. You're like a brand. And I said, thanks. And she replied, that's not a compliment. And it was like this, this, this moment where I was like, I am proud of this. Why is this person misinterpreting what I am proud of. And then I realized it wasn't about her. It was about how I was putting it out there. And I was downplaying it, I think, almost as a, as a hey, if you think this is dumb, here, I think it's dumb too, so don't worry. Mm-hmm. Or, hey, if you think this isn't really great or going to work or anything like that, oh, don't worry, I think it is too. And it's a lot like the, the person that apologizes before they start speaking or the person that apologizes before they start presenting in a meeting or... At a, at a networking event, they're like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm really tired, or oh, I'm sorry, I'm really this. And it, it's like apologizing for something that hasn't happened yet. And I feel like I was, I was doing that because I was so scared to admit that here I was, this like person who jumped around career, like actor, teacher, museum, art history, and now I was running a business or what I, looking back, was a business at the time was a side hustle. And I didn't want anyone to judge it. I wanted to keep it on the low key. 
And it, which is such a strange thing because I, you know how they always say that teachers are really good at teaching and sometimes they need to teach themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I was totally doing that. Like I was like really great at inspiring other people and getting them confident. And I was not owning at all what I was doing because I was so scared in the sense of I'm an artist, I'm a teacher. What business do I have teaching improv at this point? Because I'm just an improviser. I'm just like an educator. Yeah. And it was, it was like looking back on it. I'm like, Oh, I just want to hug that, that person a couple years ago (laughs) and say, it'll get better. Don't worry. And then the, the next playing small, like the, I really thought about this question beforehand because it's like, it is, it is, there are so many moments and the really big defining one after that was, was the idea of improv is a, is a boys club a little bit. It's it's a lot of guys. If you think about comedy, it's you've got Tina Fey, you've got Amy Poehler, you've got some great voices on SNL now. It's a lot of dudes. So I had a, a gentleman that was my, my business partner. He was also my director at the theater I was working at at the time. And he basically fed that that voice a little bit of like, what do you have to offer? You're just an improviser. And I, I remember taking so much of his opinion of me on and not having my own because I just kept deferring to his experience. And, oh, he wants, he wants to collaborate with me. What an awesome thing. And I didn't realize that it was me that was bringing so much to the table because I had found a niche in the city of so many improv theaters, classes, I was selling out classes because we were doing non-actors. So I didn't realize my own self-worth at the time of like, you know, if someone asks to partner with you, you're bringing just as much as they will. They're not just like, I'm going to take care of you and help you. Right. It's, it's, a, it's a true like collaboration. Like you're both bringing something to the table. So I think the, the lesson was like, I I write a lot of affirmations now and it applies to both in the sense of like really know your worth. And on those days that you have that little inner voice or that inner critic or imposter syndrome, like read that list of, of like knowing your worth, like find that, that group of people that do support you and do care about you and think you are doing awesome things because you will not always think you are doing awesome things. There, there has to be someone there that is both can remind you of the awesome things that you did and then also be like, hey, you are worth it. This is something that is worthwhile. You know that you're doing it for a reason. You know, I love everything you're saying. And there were two things that really jumped out at me. The whole apologizing before you say something. I find that to be incredibly annoying. (laughs) I'm I'm so glad. And I think most people do. And I'm so glad to hear you say like, I'm past that. And if I catch myself doing, I'm like, Oh God, because I will do it every now and again too. And I remember complimenting a colleague of mine because she was asking for some feedback and she was wondering if she was too forceful. And I was like, no, you're more assertive than most people, but you own it, right? Mm-hmm. So that that else, this actually will cover both both of the things that jumped out at me. She owns it. She's not like denying the fact that she's assertive. So in a meeting, she will say, "I'm going to interrupt right here." Instead Absolutely. of saying, "I'm sorry to," you know, I don't mean to interrupt. 
Yes, you do. If you are interrupting and you're apologizing for it ahead of time, you're doing it intentionally. Like you sound weird, like you're not willing to acknowledge that what you that you're doing what you're doing. And so I told her I really appreciated that about her, that she would just own it, like acknowledge it, own it. I'm interrupting right here. And I think because I think this is important to say. So she'll, she just says it. And I think that's really great. And the other thing is, is like, if we have a behavior or we're doing something or we have something in our lives and we don't own it, it comes across as weird, right? Mm-hmm. Or that we're just out of touch or we don't Absolutely. know what's going on. Go ahead, Jen, share your thoughts. Well, it's, no, that, that rings so true. And it's, it's like, I tell people you you have to go all in because if you and and by people like the students, people I'm coaching, friends of mine, and it's that same thing of like embracing it yourself. And if you're doing something half, then it's going to come back half. Like it's it, it looks like you're out of touch. It looks like you're not there, and you're kind of like, oh, I'm kind of doing this thing, and yeah. you know, it's fine. Yeah. And you wonder why people don't take you seriously because you're not taking yourself seriously, right? Or why people aren't showing up because you're mm-hmm. not being like, oh my god, you got to be here. It's awesome. It's so great. It's like, oh, it's this nothing thing. Don't no big deal. And it's mm-hmm. and then we get mad when people aren't supporting us <laughs> when mm-hmm. we're not even supporting ourselves. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. All right, Jen, let's let's move on down the road a little bit because I want to hear about another wake up call Um, for some people like you've been hearing about on the show. I talk about like it could be that light bulb moment of like clarity, you know, awesome. And you're ready to move on. But sometimes when we're a little resistant to the moment of clarity, sometimes it looks like the universe just sending us a message after message until it hits us over the head. But in either case, there is a moment when you're ready to take action. So if you would share with us the story of a wake up call moment, the steps that led up to that moment of action, and then the steps you took that led to your success. Totally. So it's, it's, uh, it has to do with a little bit of the, the same playing small moment. So I was collaborating with, uh, this, this director and in the beginning when I started, he was very like, he was supportive and not at the same time. So it was very like, Hey, you're doing good stuff or, Oh, you really think you're going to get people to sign up for classes. I couldn't even run classes and we've been here off Broadway for 10 years so it was kind of the the compliment and then the 180 afterwards. So I just kept doing me thing, doing me thing, side hustle, whatever. I I then um, I went on a lot of business trips and I was getting to a point with New York that I knew that I was not long for this world in the sense of the New York City lifestyle. I was fine. And it was a lot of, you would ask me how I was and I would say, good, because that's what we always say. We, we don't want to really answer that question often and we should, and not even to ourselves. So I was living with a roommate who's a very dear friend of mine. I was collaborating with this theater. I was, I had people that were working with me and it, I didn't think of myself as a business still. I was very like, oh, well, I can't, I don't want to say no to anything. So I'm just going to hire someone else. And then they can teach and I can teach. And I was on a business trip to North Carolina, actually. And I I went and did a lot of private workshops. So I was teaching at institutions. I was teaching at museums. And on the very last day, I was driving back to Winston-Salem from my workshop at Duke University at the Nasher Museum. 
And I was talking to my mom, which I often do more when I'm on a business trip, which is strange than anywhere else. And I said, mom, I really think that I could live here. And I, at this point, I was seeing every city that I went to on a business trip as a potential home because I knew that New York was becoming like way too much, way too, too stressful. My anxiety was going crazy there. I was not getting any farther because the expense of living there was so high. And that night I taught a workshop at a museum in Winston-Salem and actually met my husband, my now husband, was my husband then clearly, I met him. He, he worked at the museum, like random dude at the workshop, terrible improviser, like in his head more than anyone I've ever met to this day in his head. And you're like, oh, it's adorable. What an aha moment. And it's like, no, it doesn't end there. I go back to New York and I talk to my collaborator the guy I was collaborating with at the theater. And I told him, I'm like, hey, I met this this really great guy and I was in Winston and I love it. It's really green. I know it's the South and I'm a Northeasterner and it's, it's different. And it was, it was more negative of like, if you go there, your business is going to die. You should stay in New York. If you leave New York, who's going to hire you for anything anymore? Blah, 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 blah. So the months go by and I'm still like fighting this. What am I going to do with my existence? Like I can't keep staying in New York. I'm now long distance dating this guy. And I was like not a dater. I was the the dating profile girl that would talk to someone and then not see a date through because I would find something wrong with this person. And here I was like long distance relationshiping this dude and also working. And I was, I was teaching and for, for EE, for the company. And I got a call from an old acquaintance, I guess the word would be. I had worked for a team building company that was run by my then collaborator. And I led a team building for his university. And he called me through EE and said like, hey, I want to hire EE, I want to hire you guys to run the team building because I'm not getting the results I want from the other company. And I was like, oh man, this is an awkward moment. And here I am, like like this person, my collaborator is my friend, even though he was negative and I didn't see it at the time. And then I ended up saying to the client and, and to my collaborator, I was like, hey, like maybe we can collaborate on this and like make something together and make this amazing thing. And then we both win because we keep the client. And Jody, I cannot tell you how much this, this, this was the tipping point of me realizing I was putting my faith and my worth in the hands of the wrong person because he lost it. My collaborator called me a client thief said I was unethical, said I was worthless, said like all of these terrible things. And at that moment, I was like, I have something and people are finding me and and we do good work. And this is this is what I have to do. And in order to do this, I have to leave New York. Like I, I cannot run a business full time and still live my life in New York. And I took this huge, grandiose leap about a year and a half ago that I was like, all right, well, not going to collaborate with this person anymore. 
I'm going to run the business full time and I'm going to move not in with this dude that I random dude that I met at a workshop, not this long distance relationship. Like I'm going to move to Winston-Salem. It is the city of arts and innovation. There's companies and organizations here. I'm going to still keep the business in New York and travel back when I needed to and just figure it out. And from like as that, I, I will not even pretend and say it was an easy jump in any way, shape or form. Like I was looking for a job when I moved here because I was so scared because I had never thought about running a business full time. I was like, I've always had like six other jobs. Like, where's my income? What's going on? That that defining moment of saying, you know what, I I need to do this for me now. And this is now my company and this is my thing. And I I am very I still collaborate with people. I'm very careful with my collaborations now. And that that moment of I have something. I I am worth something and EE is worth something and I'm gonna make it happen. And and since then it's been it's not been easy by any stretch of the imagination. It's one of the best choices that I've made leaving that city and just still embodying the company, still going when I need to and and just doing it and not looking back. You know, Jen, I, I think of moments like that, those horrible moments, but we can also look back on them as the blessing, right? And mm-hmm. oftentimes moments like that will come when we're having a hard time making a decision, right? You were starting to get all these messages like, hey, let's go here. Let's mm-hmm. like get, you know, first it was, let's just get out of the city. But then mm-hmm. it sounded like you were starting to narrow in on Winston-Salem and North Carolina and things were lining up. But, you know, it wasn't like you were there was some hesitation and then this happened. And it's almost like the universe saying, here, I'm going to make it easier for you. Yes. It's like (laughs) and I I joke that I I always joke with people because they say, you don't mean you have a business in New York and Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I'm like, guys, it's a really great story. So don't worry. And at the same time, it's like your intuition, like, you know, you you Yes, there's that little voice telling you that you can't and or what do you what do you have to opt that imposter syndrome? There's that other little voice that I think that we put aside too often that's like, you need to go. You know what you need to do, mm-hmm. you know what your next step is. Like look at all of these things happening. Just go with your gut. And I feel like too often we don't pay attention to that. We we push it aside as like hippy dippy. Or you push it aside as like, oh, this isn't the logical explanation, logical choice or logical decision. And it's like, no, you need just go for it. Like follow your gut more than you more than you don't sometimes. Right. And that's typically what it sounds like. You know, there's this wanting, there's a desire, we want to go somewhere, we want to do something, but then our brain takes over and it starts logically working through, well, this is crazy and what will people think and that would be hard and all of this stuff. And so that we end up squashing what we want. Mm-hmm. You know, to to live a very logical life. But, you know, logic ha- is very useful and it has its place, but it will not lead you to happiness. <laughs> sure, I 100 uh, percent. And that what you want, that is such a hard question for people to answer. Like, if you think about that, like, what do you want? And not something tangible like a cookie or a soda, but thinking about like what you really want you have to be quiet and listen to your gut for like, you can't logically say, well, I would like this, this and that you can, it just might not be personal to you. 
Nope. And Jen, I'm dying to ask you this next question because one, you're a listener. I don't have to explain it to you. And two, you're an improv teacher. So I'm (laughs) dying to hear you tell us about your leadership style. I, that, that is a really good question. And if you would have asked me that a couple years ago, I'd have been like, I'm just going with the flow. And that's so not how I am. I'm, I'm type A, I am creative, I like control over a situation to a certain extent. I also really trust people, and that is something that I, I am as a leader. I'm, I'm very, like, it takes me a minute to delegate to people. Like, when I started having other people teach for EE, I was so scared. I'm like, oh, my God, what if they do it better than I do? And what if I'm obsolete? And, and what if this happens? What happens next? What, hap- what do I do if they're teaching? And after a while, I, I'm very like, this is, this is what's important. Here is the mission. Now, creatively reach this mission in your way. Because we are all about authenticity with EE and bringing out someone's true voice and true self and true communication style that I am the same way as a leader with the people that I'm working with. I'm very like, here are the things that are non-negotiable, like, hey, we bring out best self. Hey, we are interactive and we want people to get up and do stuff and not just watch someone do it. And the rest of the way, like the pathway there, I'm super flex with because I feel like that is truly improv. Like you have a set of goals and objectives. It's just the structure that you're working with is gigantic. Your creative box is huge. So you can bounce around and figure it out as you go along to really be customized to the people in front of you. You still reach your goal. And that's what's important. And and that's been very, that's really evident in my, my leadership style in the sense of, I'm very clear with expectations. I also am really like, hey, you do you because I know what I do well and I know what you do well. Otherwise, I wouldn't be working with you. So let's just get there together. And speaking of goals, Jen, what's one thing you're working on right now that you're really excited about and want to share with us? I am working on on, on two. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat on this question <laughs> and use two real quick. I, we just started a lot of really customer service centric trainings because we had been very open with the idea of like improv for professionals and customizing workshops as we get into organizations. And recently we've, we've started pushing more of a customer service workshop in the sense of teaching people how to listen better within customer service, because that's really where it all starts with, with listening and in improv, if you don't listen then you're nowhere. Like you could be the funniest person up there. If you're not listening to the person you're on stage in a conversation standing next to, then you have nothing. So you, it's that idea of listening to clients, individuals, interactions, and then affirming and elevating them. There's, there's so much with, with the recent like viral customer service snafus gone wrong, where a lot could be fixed if someone just listened and said things like, yes, I understand you feel like this, and I want to help. How can I do that? Versus, yes, you feel upset, but I can't help you right now. That but shuts people down. So we're really focusing on that idea of getting people communicating, both in the sense of they're actively listening, as well as more of a yes and communication versus a yes but or a no communication. 
So really taking that improv principle of yes and and tying it into interactions as much as possible and not just agreeing and saying yes to everything, really showing that you're listening. And then the other thing is I am I'm so close to finishing and sending off for for publishing and all that good stuff for a book on how improv ties into all of this goodness of life. And it's it's that idea of it's not just for actors and there's a lot of improv books out there. There's very few written by women, I realized, which is super exciting. And then also there's few that tie in like the ways we do in the sense of finding your voice and your communication style as well as yourself. Mm. So I'm super, super pumped. I'm always super pumped about stuff. Those are the two today that I'm super pumped about. <laughs> it's part of your leadership style, just to be enthusiastic. So. <laughs> yes. No, I love that. I'm very interested for your book. And you're also taking improv, like like you said, is like lifting people up and bringing out your best self. I love that. And, you know, customer service. I know sometimes when people hear that word, because it can, it can be, you know, we, we hear it and we're just kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like this tedious thing. But... I've done workshops on customer service, you know, with people who are actually in the trenches doing the customer service. And I'm like, you guys are like performing God's work. Mm -hmm. And they would look at me like I was crazy. I'm like, and what I said was, when you allow somebody to get their frustrations out and be heard, you know, and have it resolved and dealt with while they're on the phone with you, they're less likely to in turn discharge all that emotion on some unsuspecting and innocent person or animal. Absolutely. And I've been seeing your stuff on conflict lately and like, like confronting conflict and, and kind of not getting in front of it, but just letting it happen. Mm-hmm. And I think so much of that is with the connection of people just want to be heard sometimes. They just need to say those things. Something needs to be gotten off their chest because they're not people that are angry about a situation generally aren't like sociopathic malicious people they like something has happened and they really feel wronged in whatever way shape or form or it's the 10th thing in a series of nine things that day and it just set them off so having that affirmation of yes I hear you yes I understand yes I hear that you're saying this diffuses a situation in a really healthy manner because in the end a lot of times we just want to be heard And the people who are dealing with customer service, that's a front line. So it doesn't matter how great of a mission you have. It doesn't matter how great of a a job you're doing elsewhere. That that negativity that can start at the bottom can just eat away at everything. So you need to really have the experience be be very well-rounded in the sense of it's good and the same and a similar mission on all levels. You can't just pay attention to the the top end things. You have to pay attention to all aspects. And Jen, on the flip side of things, what would you say is the biggest leadership or business challenge you're faced with right now? I think for me, it is the fact that I am constantly looking on how to show that we are different than a typical improv theater, typical improv class as well as how I'm different. What I'm doing is is a different way. It's not, like I'm not the first person to take improv and tie it into business by any stretch of the imagination. There's some amazing organizations out there. I do know that what we do is very different. And people have told us that this is like, we had this company come in and teach us improv 
And this is completely different. This really ties in. So for me, it is is not only embracing even more. Like I said, it's a it's a work in progress. The embracing what I do is important. And I think if anyone says that it's not for them, they're they're lying to themselves and to everyone else because everyone has bad days. Everyone has days that they like need a timeout. They need some self-care. They need to say, okay, what I do is awesome and I'm going to show it. So it's me embracing that we truly are doing something that's incredible and very different, as well as the business challenge of reaching these people who have had a bad experience with improv, like they've done a trust fall. And it, I don't do trust falls. It's something I'm like so <laughs> innately against and or, or done something that they felt ridiculous or silly or goofy in not a helpful way and, and connecting with them in the sense of like, this is not fun. This is not just fun for fun's sake. This is not just something that you can do to blow off steam. This is something that is an everyday practice, much like working out. It's not just something that you can do if you want to do something very different and like get away from your business job or your accounting job. It's a skill that will help your business job and your accounting job and your life. I love it. And Jen, now I'm going to do a quick leadership roundup. So tell us, what is one practice you have that helps to make you a better leader? Before I open my computer, every single day, I make a a written list of things that I know that I'm working on because I find that I can be very distracted by my emails. And if I respond to an email, then I get three responses back and then it snowballs from there and it's five o'clock and I'm like, ah, so I'm really a big fan of written lists and then keeping long running life lists, not to do lists more so like business life list because a to-do list can get overwhelming for me. It's really the, hey, this month or this quarter I'm working on X, Y, and Z and really keep that both in a, in a document on my computer and then in I'm a big fan, again, of writing everything down. What advice would you give your younger self? Hang in there, kid. <laughs> no, really, um, I, I think conti- it would be continue to believe your gut. And, and believe the other little voice as opposed to the negative little voice. Now share with us a success quote or a mantra and why it has meaning for you. The best mantra that I have on my desk is you aren't pizza, you won't please everyone. And as someone who says yes a lot and used to say yes too often, and runs by a mentality of yes and, like it's literally tattooed on my arm, yes and, in my husband's handwriting. And it's it's that understanding that I got to do me sometimes, and I got to do our mission sometimes, and it's not going to make everyone happy because it is different, and that's okay, because you're looking out for yourself once in a while, and sometimes more than once in a while, and saying yes is really important. Also saying yes to your reality and understanding that you cannot please everyone is has been the best life and self-care lesson that I've taken in the past few years. And lastly, Jen, what is the best way for this community to connect with you? Sure thing. They can reach us at www.theengagingeducator.com. We have a lot of really great resources. All our social media links are on there. If anyone is inspired to tweet, uh, I have the company handle is at the engaging ed, 
We also have a Facebook page, The Engaging Educator. We also, by we, this one is I, run a YouTube channel where every week we post videos about improv and presentation skills. And that, again, is The Engaging Educator. And I love emailing people, clearly. So, like, shoot me an email, shoot me a phone call. I really get excited talking to people that are using improv in their everyday life because I like knowing that we're not yelling into the ether. So I'm always telling people, like, hey, if you do this, like, tell me. It's not because it's proprietary. It's because I want to know it's working. So all those great ways to connect. And then always, again, like, Twitter is a good place for me. I chit-chat with people on there all the time. Awesome. And for those of you listening, you know you can find all the links and resources shared in this episode at womentakingthelead.com. If you put Jen's name in the search bar, her page will come right up. And, Jen, thank you so much for taking the time to inspire and enlighten us. We are all better for having met you. Thank you so much for having me. And everyone, good luck with everything. Before we say goodbye, I want to give a huge shout out to Millie Welsh at ZebraLab Web Solutions. She does the hosting for the Women Taking the Lead website, as well as the SEO and payment solutions. So if you need help with any of these things, contact Millie at ZebraLabWebSolutions.com. Thank you all for joining me on Women Taking the Lead. And to strengthen you on your own leadership journey, I'd like to send you off with a quote from Marianne Williamson, so here goes. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Again, thank you for joining me, and here's to your success.